0: the only one here with a tie on, but I see several people with ties. Uh, It didn't bother me if I was the only one. I I just decided to wear this suit because it's only two years old, you see. I got it to get married in. And and, uh, what happened was I had two perfectly good suits from Joseph Bank, I thought. I took them over to Mississippi to show them to my wife-to-be, and she said, I, I think maybe the, uh, the gray one, the, the pattern in the blue one is a little pronounced. Now, look, I knew she didn't like either one of them, you know. But that's the way when you're in Mississippi, that's how you say, can't you do better than that? And uh, so I waited for a few days, went back to Atlanta, and I got, was talking on the telephone, and she just, just casually said, uh, have you ever thought about buying a new suit? And I started laughing because I knew that was coming. And uh, so this is it. And uh, I don't uh, get, very off, get a chance to wear it very often, so I just decided to do it today. By the way, Mission the World, uh, you might not know that right now, today, 1,200 missionaries are on the field right now. Now, 200 of them will come off at the end of the summer. We'll have about 1,000 missionaries on the field uh, during the year. Uh, it goes up in the summertime because we have an internship program I wonder how many countries you think we work in as in the PCA. Eighty. We have missionary work. We don't have missionaries in 80 countries, but we have work in 80 countries around the world. So that uh, may interest you as well. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's just a great passage. I'm really excited about this passage, and I think God's going to speak to you through this passage. Let me read it to you, Second Corinthians chapter twelve and the first ten verses. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or other body, I do not know. God knows. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to help me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us pray. Father, we do believe that this is your word. It's not simply words on a page. It's not just ink and paper. It is your living word which you have given to us through your Holy Spirit leading men as they would write it, we now pray that that same Holy Spirit will come and speak to us because we've come in worship to glorify you and to listen to you. So we pray that you will speak in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, my wife and I, were building a house. It was in a new subdivision, and I was constantly getting flat tires. It's amazing how many nails can just sort of get scattered around from builders. I don't know what in the world they do. It's almost like they take them and just kind of salt the road with them, but it was getting a bit annoying. I was leaving the subdivision one morning, and I got just to the entrance, and uh, I didn't have a flat tire, I saw a dollar bill kind of float in front of the car, and cheap as I am, I thought, what the world, there's nobody behind me. I just put on the brake, and I got out, and I picked it up, and it wasn't a $1 bill, it was a $100 bill. And I looked around, and I saw some more, so I ran around scurrying and picking them up, and I found 11 $100 bills. Just so you know, I did find the man that lost it, so don't worry about that, but think about it for a minute. It's a lot nicer, isn't it, to find a $100 bill and have a flat tire. In fact, you would think one is a blessing, the other is a curse. But suppose you knew that if you stopped and picked up 11 $100 bills, that that would put you at the Buford Railroad crossing exactly at the time the railroad train came by and the signals weren't working. But if you had a flat tire, you would get there 10 minutes later. Then, which would be the blessing? The flat tire? Or the $100 bill? You see, this passage, this is what this passage says to me. Paul sort of says, you know, let me tell you about something that happened to me. It was pretty great. But it wasn't the greatest thing that happened to me. What you think might not be so pleasant is, in fact, the blessing, not the curse. You see... Paul is talking about an event in his life, and the language he uses is almost wow, you know? I mean, you've got to get pretty excited about being ushered up into the third level of heaven. You know what that is? That is the throne room of God. And we know that uh, from some other literature, but also we know that because, notice in verse 3, he calls it paradise. That is the same Greek word that Jesus uses when he's talking to the thief on the cross, and he says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. In other words, you're going to be with me in heaven. So Paul is talking about an experience where he actually was taken up in a dream, or physically, he doesn't know, only God knows, he says. Uh, but we don't know if anybody else ever had, had an experience like that. The only person that I know that comes close is John, in the first chapter of Revelations, when he says, I looked into heaven and saw one with white hair like wool, and he had a robe down to his ankles, and he had a golden sash across his chest among the candlesticks. That's about as close as we get. But here's a man that actually goes into the very presence of God. You'd have to be excited about that. And, and Paul doesn't take it lightly you see, I'm not taking lightly the blessings that God gives to us, the hundred dollar bills, if you will. They're there for a purpose. Paul's not taking it lightly. The reason he talks about it is because it's important to him. Let me give you three reasons why blessings are important. The first is that it strengthens our faith. You see, faith is the only way we can know God, but faith is not blind. Francis Schaeffer, some of you might know him back in 1968. He wrote a book. It's his first book, The God Who Is There. He wrote that book because he was declaring faith in a very skeptical world where people don't believe you can know anything about God. They're not even sure there is a God. Many of them don't believe in God at all. And Schaeffer was trying to say something in that book, and, and, and the title gives it away The God Who Is There. He's real. And God has a way of strengthening our faith. God has a way of actually saying to us, look, I'm real, I'm here. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have a chapter of great saints. It's called the roll call of faith. And these people are blessed, as it were, or they are commended, at least, in the chapter, because they did these things by faith. They built big boats by faith. They saved the spies by faith. Like Abraham, he went out from his father's house not knowing where he was going, it says. But God showed him. He, he believed that he would have a child when he was too old and his wife was too old. But he had the child. He went to sacrifice his son Because God said so, believing that God would take care of it. And God did. You see, my point is that he did these things by faith. He believed God, but but God also authenticated that faith. Do you see it? There there was evidence that what he did was what God wanted him to do, and, and God, as it were, kind of underlined it or put his seal upon it. There was an event in my life when I was 15. I don't know if I should tell her or not. It's in some ways a little embarrassing, but uh, I just got my driver's license. I went to a big junior high, senior high. It was so large that we had one-way stairwells or you would have been crushed, you know. Nobody went up the wrong way on a stairwell. You wouldn't have made it. And I just got my driver's license, and uh, frankly, I wanted to ask this girl out on a date. And I have to tell you that uh, I wasn't very good at, good at that. In fact, I'd never had a date before. And, and so I decided to call her up, and I called her up, but before she could answer, I hung up. But I got up some more nerve, and I called again, and this time she answered. So I hung up. So I said, God, I need some help here. And I really, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, I need your help. This is what I would like you to do. Today, I'm going to drive downtown. and I'm going to take away a route that I never take. And, and you just have her walking along on the street when I come. And when I see her, I'll stop and I'll ask her if she needs a ride downtown and then I can ask her. I did that and when I turned down this very narrow street, there she was. Tell you the truth, it shocked me. My heart was beating so fast, it almost went by. Now, you know, that's kind of a silly thing in a way, but I want to tell you, I never forgot that. I do think God was trying to say to a 15-year-old who didn't have any Christian friends at the time, I didn't know anybody in that school that was a Christian. I'm sure there were some, but they were underground. I I think God was saying to a 15-year-old, hey, I'm real. You belong to me and I'm real. And God does. He does authenticate our faith like that. And we ought to be careful not to miss those things in our life when he shows us how real he is. Maybe it's an answered prayer. Maybe it is just being at the right place at the right time. But for a Christian, that's not an accident, is it? Or receiving help just when you need it. That too is the hand of God in your life. And I think sometimes we let those things just pass by. Paul wouldn't. Paul's talking about God putting a seal on his ministry. The second thing is that he reminds us of how much he loves us and that he accepts us. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this in verse 31. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son But gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God has many ways of of showing us that he really does love us and he accepts us. Wouldn't be a bad thing to start every day reminding yourself of that, would it? That God loves you and that he has accepted you. Jesus also said this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You see those times in your life when God just kind of wraps his arms around you and says, Look, I love you. He embraces you as the lover that he really is. Some of you know that painting of the old man, he's seated at the table. He's got gnarly hands. He's got them up in a prayer position. He's praying. And, and you look at the meal he's praying over, and it's, it's just a glass of water and a, and a crust of bread. What do you think the artist is trying to say there? Is he trying to say we ought to be thankful no matter what we have? Maybe, but I don't think so. I think the artist is actually saying, look, It's too easy to miss God's blessings, especially when God has been as gracious to us as he's been. God has all kinds of ways of showing us that he loves us. But thirdly, the blessings come in our life because God wants to help us. I think that's what was happening here in Paul's life as well. First, Paul probably needed this experience in the presence of God, because he was going to have to go through things that were unbelievable. In fact, he actually connects those things in this passage. If you'll note, you just have to go back to chapter 11. And remember, there are no chapters in the original letter. Up there in verse 24, five times I received the hands of the Jews and 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beat with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger of false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. Anybody want to take Paul's job? I think God was giving him that experience because he was going to need it to get through that kind of stuff. But I think there's another reason. And that's that he's an apostle. Not only is he an apostle, he's the last apostle. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8, I was the last apostle. In fact, I was born abnormally. That's actually the way the Greek reads. I was born abnormally doesn't mean that his mother did something or something like that. What it means is that he's an apostle, but not like the other apostles because the other apostles were called by Christ, taught by Christ, and then commissioned by Christ. They'd had this personal experience with the incarnate Lord here on this earth. Paul came alone too late for that. I actually think that He was ushered up into heaven so he could spend a little time with Jesus. So like the other apostles, he could be taught and commissioned by Christ himself. I suspect that it was a foundation for much that he did at that point in his life. I read this week of an experience that J.I. Packer had. It was in an article that he wrote on prayer. It's called My Prayer Journey. He says that one of his closest friends was diagnosed with cancer and, and it was very troubling to him and many others and, and he was just compelled more than usual to pray for healing. And he said, I prayed for healing in such a way that I, got, I believed God was going to heal my friend. Said I was walking home from church after the service that Sunday morning and it was as if God said to me, don't worry about this anymore. You've prayed about it. You can leave it in my hands. I'm going to take care of it. And he said the next day his friend was operated on and there was no cancer. He said that's never happened to me since and it never happened to me before. But I believe it was very important in his ministry. After all, he tells us about it and Secondly, nobody has taught us more about God in our generation and in our time than J.R. Packer. In fact, if you've never read Knowing God, you ought to read it. You ought to get it quickly and read it. But that experience, that blessing was important, you see. It was to help him in ministry. And God gives us these blessings. But he doesn't say that the blessings are the greatest thing that we're going to have. And we note here that Paul doesn't think that this experience in heaven was the greatest thing that happened to him. He goes on to tell us that the greatest thing here is what he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Real suffering, we know that. Uh, Commentators speculate about what it is. I guess that's what commentators are supposed to do, is speculate. Uh, but we don 't know if it was physical, we don 't know if it was persecution, we don't know if it was emotional. Um, we don 't know if it was spiritual. But we know that it was difficult. We know that because he prayed three times that it would be delivered, that he would be delivered from it three times. It had to be tough on Paul, don't you think? Unlike you and me, Paul had the gift of healing. Paul could heal other people, but yet he couldn't heal himself because of this thorn in the flesh. And you'll notice he calls it a messenger of Satan. That's important also because, you see, God uses these difficult things in our lives. He uses these testings in our lives, but God is not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. Satan is and the fall is. But God allows them into our life. He doesn't take us out of this world. He doesn't deliver us from the effects of the fall, but he uses these things in our life. An unbeliever, when the fall crashes into their life, they're victims, but not you and me. When the fall impacts our life, we are in the hands of God. We are in the hands of the one who made us, created us, and has us eternally in his hands forever. That's why I think the Psalms talk so much about He's a fortress. He's our protector. He's the wings under which we rest. Because He's reminding us during these times when we are tested that He hasn't abandoned us. In fact, He's at work in our life, even in a bigger way than in the blessings that He gives us. First, He shows us His mercy, or He shows us His majesty and His glory. Here's a strange thing. God shows his majesty and his glory not in the strength of his people, but in their weakness and in their dependency. You have to hear that. God is at the in the business of showing his majesty and his power through our weakness and through our dependency on him. Augustine, nobody would question the fact that he was a brainy sort of guy. I mean, he was smart before he became a Christian. Uh, We know of some of the philosophical things that he wrote and so on. They had great depth to them and and all. But one of his disciples writes about the man, and he calls him the great man. And he says the great man was great not because he was brilliant, uh, not because he was well-educated. He was great for one reason— He depended entirely on his heavenly father. He says that he would come to the word every day and and with tears staining the the very pages of his Bible, he would plead with God to, to open up the word and reveal to him what he couldn't get himself. You see, God wants his people to come in that kind of posture, asking for his help. Listen to this prayer by Augustine: "Turn not aside in anger, O Lord, from your servant, lest in seeking you I run towards something else. Be my helper; leave me, neither despise me, O God, my Savior." You see, in that prayer, his dependency is his his need for God and his realization of that need. We have a college belongs to the Presbyterian Church in America in. Taiwan, is called Christ College. Uh, that college has had quite a ministry. Literally thousands of young people have come to faith. I think it's been the best evangelistic tool in all of, ta- uh, of Taiwan for at least the last 25 years. After all, 70% of the students that come there are not believers, and they live in a dorm with Christian dorm parents. It's, it's quite a captive audience if you think about it. But things have changed there demographically and also politically, and we've been struggling, and and that that college has been having a hard time, and so we've had four plans of how we were going to save the college, and none of them worked. And we've had three presidents, and they've all resigned. We had got a new president two years ago. He said to us, you know, we don't have any ideas left. And we have not been able to move the government at all in the directions we need to move them. All we've got left is God. And then he said this, and that's the best place we could ever be. You believe that? All that I have left is God, and that's the best place I could ever be. God shows his majesty and his glory through the trials and the testings that he puts us through. Secondly, he helps us in these testings to obey the first commandment. Think about it. The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what is the God that we all put before him? Self, right? I mean, we have a natural bent to putting ourselves in the place of God. Oh, we have different ways of doing it. All of us have different kinds of idols, but the ultimate idol is us. It's me. And God uses these things in our life as he did in Paul's life to remind us that he's God and we're not God and that we need him and we need to worship him. Paul, in his preaching in 1 Corinthians, said this And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think that Paul could give a mighty fine speech. He's a good writer. He has a great education. We know that. studying under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of his day. He was an up-and-comer if there ever was one. We read about that in the early parts of Acts. In no way is Paul a loser, but he decides to lose everything except Christ. And the secret of his ministry, the power of his ministry, is I'm not preaching to you anything but Christ. In Philippians he gives his his pedigree, doesn't he? Hebrew of the Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. Concerning the law of Pharisee, what else could you say? Concerning zeal, persecute the church. He goes on and on, and then he says this. But I count it all but garbage, except to know Christ and Him crucified. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. How do we learn these things? I think only when God tests us. The blessings come in the testing more than they come in the exciting events. More in the flat tire than in the $100 bills. But thirdly, and this is really important, God wants to work a work of humility in our lives. Paul says that right here in verse 7, does he not? So to keep me from being elated by surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me. My question to you is this. How important is humility in your life? How many of you got up this morning and prayed for humility? Look, I already know the answer. Don't raise your hand or you don't have to. I know the answer. Honestly, I didn't either. It's astonishing to me when I read the scriptures how little the church prizes humility. We were saved in humility. Philippians again says that he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. If God had not humbled himself, you and I wouldn't be here. There is a need. For humility, we ought to pray for humility that God would give it to us. I was looking this week and studying a little bit about Whitfield and and Wesley and Edwards. You know, three men that we say brought about the Great Awakening. Three men whose legacy we're still living on, and even this country's living on to a large extent because. The Great Awakening impacted the United States before the United States was the United States. We would not be what we are if it were not for that Great Awakening. But you know, when you read and study about those men, they didn't think it was about them, they thought it was about God. They were convinced about two things they were com- convinced of God's might and of God's power that He could do it, but they were also convinced that they were nothing but empty vessels. Nothing but empty vessels needing to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. It's not our plans. It's not our gifts. I can tell you this. If if you've got a great pedigree, you know, don't send it to God. He's not going to be impressed. The gifts you have, he gave you. God wants us to come to him, to live our lives before him, in humility. And the world will see his glory in our humility. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you win by giving up on yourself, by going the extra mile, by turning the cheek? Doesn't make much sense, does it? A year and a half ago, I tested this out. There was a presbytery. wasn't very happy with me. So they called me on the carpet because of the way that we had treated a missionary. And uh, so I said to the people I work with, get me the evidence because, you know, I don't want to get fried. And I had a notebook about that thick, and I went up there ready to defend ourselves. The missionary spoke first. And while he was speaking, I do believe the Holy Spirit was working in me saying this, Paul, don't defend yourself. Take the low road, not the high road. When he finished, I turned to him and I said, Look, I can't undo what's been done, but I can tell you I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry for what we did and how it's impacted your life. I was looking, of course, at the notebook. I thought, Nah. Would you forgive me? And he looked at me and... I could see this wasn't going to be easy. But finally, a bit of a smile began to appear in each corner of his mouth, and, and he said, I'll forgive you. And I thought, wow. You humble yourself, and you can actually get forgiveness out of that. Three months later, I met the man again, and he greeted me, and I said, look, I, I, I want to say it again. I'm very sorry. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I've been praying Since then and God's been speaking to me and I had a lot to learn and I thought, My goodness, humility can not only bring forgiveness, it can bring sanctification. You see, that's the way God wants to work in our life. John Stott died, what, last year? Just before he died, he he wrote a book, The Radical Disciple. In that book, he says something about suffering. He says, Suffering is a mystery. God doesn't explain it to us, just like he doesn't explain this thorn in Paul's uh, side. But Stott said this, For the Christian, suffering is a tool in the hands of God to draw us to himself and to make us more like Jesus. To draw us to himself and to make us more like Jesus. Let's let Paul close this sermon. In the next chapter, verse 13 and verse 4, he says this For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. I think that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, we we don't take lightly the, the blessings, and there are many. You pour out blessings on us daily. Some we take for granted, others we notice. But Father, we know of your love and of your care for us. We also know that you work in our lives, not just through those blessings, but through the trials and the, and the difficulties of this life, which we all experience. In your hands, they're tools to, to teach us of our need. To teach us of your care and to work a work of humility in our lives. That your glory and your majesty might be seen through us. Would you be Would you bring that about? Would you make that a reality, we pray? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.